Our Old Covenant reading this evening is from Isaiah 53. He will be reading verses 4 through 9. This is the word of our God. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Yet he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Here ends our Old Covenant reading. Our New Covenant reading is from... Paul's letter to Philemon will be reading verses 17 through the end of this letter. This is the word of the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greeting to you, and so does Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The gospel is so simple that a very small child can understand it. And yet it is so profound that the most brilliant theologians and scholars have penned countless pages in an attempt to plumb its depths. Now, at the heart of this amazing gospel, so simple and yet so profound, is the doctrine of justification. You know, if a small child came up to you and asked, what does it mean to be justified? How would you answer them? What does it mean that God saved me from my sin?" I think you probably won't find a clearer and yet simpler answer than what John Calvin called the wonderful exchange. He says of Christ, taking the weight of our iniquity upon him, he has clothed clothed us with his righteousness. All our sin was reckoned to Christ's account, and all Christ's righteousness was reckoned to our account, and we laid hold of this great salvation by faith. But is that all that faith does? Now that this reality, this reality of 
having Christ's righteousness reckoned to us and, and our sin laid to his account, now that that reality is ours by faith, how shall we then live? Faith doesn't just stop once you have laid hold of justification in Christ. Faith is meant to keep going deeper and to impact our daily lives. And an important part of what Paul is telling Philemon in this letter is that faith, not only does faith justify us, but faith also shapes the way that we live. It shapes specifically in his letter to Philemon, Paul is saying that faith shapes the way that we fellowship with the body of Christ. We are justified by faith, and we have fellowship together in Christ by faith. And remember, that word fellowship, that koinonia, is not just like, you know, hanging out, having coffee and donuts together. It's much deeper than that, right? It is sharing life together, getting to know one another, being impacting each other in our daily lives, leading us to walk more and more with Christ day by day. Justification is meant to transform our daily lives. And now that you and I are justified and united together in Christ, our lives are meant to be joined together in mutual love and humility and support. Because of justification, there isn't any room to puff ourselves up or or to look down on our brothers and sisters, right? There isn't any room to refuse to love other fellow believers. There isn't any room to refuse to forgive and to reconcile with a brother or a sister who comes to us seeking to right something that they have done wrong. And Paul wants Philemon to understand this aspect of justification, the way that it impacts our fellowship with one another. And here in verses 17 through 25, as he concludes his letter to Philemon, he's going to communicate this, this this fact that justification impacts our daily lives. He's going to communicate this in a unique way. Paul takes on the role of Christ as he reconciles Philemon and Onesimus together. He represents Christ. He embodies the gospel as he freely and graciously chooses to take on Onesimus' debt to Philemon and to transfer his merit to Onesimus so that Onesimus might be welcomed by Philemon as if he were Paul. And I think Paul does this for two reasons. He's demonstrating the gospel through his own life in a very concrete way. And also he is calling Philemon, and by extension all believers, to embody the gospel as well. So how does our justification impact our fellowship as believers? How does it do this? I want us to see three ways that Paul answers this question. Our justification impacts our fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ as we first model the great exchange of the gospel. Second, as we give what is owed. And third, as we welcome the servants of Christ. Model the great exchange. Give what is owed and welcome the servants of Christ. And so first, we are called to model the great exchange. Look with me here at verses 17 through the beginning of verse 19. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. 
Now, the idea of koinonia, right, that fellowship, that shared life, it comes back here in verse 17. It's a little bit disguised, but we're going to draw it out here. Uh, We already saw this, this this concept of koinonia back in verse 6, where Paul talks about how our koinonia, our shared life with all believers, is meant to be active and fruitful as we know and do every good thing which is in us because of Christ. Now, here in verse 17, Paul says, if you consider me your partner. Now, that word partner is is related to koinonia. It comes from the same root. And what Paul is driving at here is that Philemon is his fellow worker. He is one who has taken part in the ministry with Paul. He has shared life with Paul in the work of the gospel. And Paul, so Paul is saying, if you consider that to be true of our relationship, if you consider me to be your partner, receive Onesimus as you would receive me. And what's interesting about that is there's actually no question in Paul's mind that Philemon, um, that Philemon wouldn't receive Onesimus. Paul wants Philemon He's almost like taking it for granted, right? I know you're going to do this, Philemon. You know, he's expressing confidence in him. Paul wants Philemon to reckon his, that is Paul's merit to Onesimus' account. And, and so the way that that works is, in order for Philemon to reject Onesimus, he would have to reject Paul. Paul, Paul is setting this up in a way that Philemon can't refuse him. And from what we know about Philemon in this letter, we know he would be delighted to receive the Apostle Paul into his home. And Paul is saying, I know that you will receive me, but since I can't come to you while I'm in prison, I want you to receive Onesimus in my place. The thing that's going on here, though, is that Onesimus has wronged Philemon. He very likely did owe him something. Uh, A lot of commentators have pointed out that it seems from this statement of Paul, you know, if he owes you, um, if he has wronged you at all, or owes you anything, charge that to my account, that it seems that Onesimus may have stolen something from Philemon on his way out the door to get away. And Paul doesn't say, he doesn't say, you know, Philemon, just forget about it. Just pretend it didn't happen. Um, No, the wrong had to be righted. The debt had to be paid. There had to be restitution. But Paul says, reckon that debt to me. Put it on me, Philemon. Onesimus' sins, as it were, are moved to Paul's account. And that removes them from Onesimus' account, right? If, If Paul takes on the debt, then Onesimus doesn't have the debt anymore. It's as if Onesimus had never done wrong. And if that was true, what could possibly stop Philemon from receiving him back with joy and love? I like how Paul says this. He guarantees that he will pay the debt, right? He takes up the pen himself and puts his promise, he puts his signature on it. Let me give you a little example of this. Imagine that you graduate from college, you know, but you've incurred a lot of debt along the way, a lot of student debt. You had a great plan to pay it off. But frankly, with the economy the way that it is and with the rising cost of living and housing, suddenly you find that you're not really sure how you're going to pay your debt off. But then your very rich aunt, don't we all wish we had a very rich aunt? Your very rich aunt steps forward and graciously volunteers to just pay off your debt. You know, she really likes you. She, she wants to do this for you. And so she writes out a check to, you know, the, the student debt 
uh, whoever's holding that debt on you. She writes out a check for the full amount, and when she puts her signature on that check, that's her guarantee that she will pay the necessary funds to pay off your debt. It's kind of like what Paul is doing here, right? He's putting his signature on it. Philemon, this is how you know I'm going to pay it. Here's my signature. Here's my promise. And think about this is. This is a clear articulation and demonstration of the gospel. Right? In the gospel, the Father welcomes us into his presence as he welcomes Christ. Paul's willingness here to model the gospel is meant to remind Philemon that he has received grace before God because of the merit of someone else. Someone else stood in his place. Someone else took on the debt that he owed to God. Someone else transferred merit to him so that he could stand before the Father. Jesus Christ says before the Father, charge their sins to my account. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is an amazing verse. That is an amazing reality that is ours in Jesus Christ. When the Father looks on us, he says, not guilty. And that is how Philemon is to treat Onesimus. He cannot hold his sins against him. He cannot hold a grudge because Onesimus' debt is being paid by another. I think the startling thing here is that if Philemon is going to turn down Paul's request, he will be treating lightly what Christ has done for him. He might not have liked the idea of letting someone else pay off Onesimus' debt, right? He might have been like, no, you know what? This guy walked out of me. He's got to pay. This is his problem. Who are you, Paul, to say that you can pay this off for him? But through the actions of the Apostle Paul, he's confronted by the fact that Christ has paid his debt. How can Philemon refuse Paul when his very salvation, his very life, is dependent on the work of another? Of another taking on his sin and guilt and imputing righteousness to him. Paul's actions remind Philemon that the Father will never refuse him, will never turn him away, will never hold his sins against him because of the work of the Son. All of this that Paul is doing is pointing Philemon to the grace that he has been shown in Jesus Christ. Someone has to pay the debt in order to bring about reconciliation, and Paul is willing to do that here. He becomes a living model, a living demonstration of the gospel of grace. But seeing in doing that, the apostle Paul not only embodies the gospel, but he's also showing Philemon what every believer is called to do for another. Like Paul, we are called to model the great exchange in our shared life together as believers. We are called to be gentle and kind to sinners who repent. Yes, seeking their repentance for their good and for God's glory and pouring out love on them. This is about sacrificing ourselves for the sake of others. 
If someone has offended you and they come to you in repentance, seeking reconciliation, you must forgive them, even if you must bear the cost of reconciliation. Even if the sacrifice has to come from you. You must be willing to welcome them, even as the Father has welcomed you in Christ. You must be willing to pay the debt that they owe to you, even as Christ has paid the debt of your sin. We also ought to seek reconciliation between offenders and offended. When we see brothers and sisters in Christ whose relationships have been broken because of sin on on someone's part, we are called like Paul to seek to restore those relationships. To speak the gospel into their lives. To show them what Christ has done for them. And what they are called to do for one another. Our justification restored us to fellowship with God, but it was also meant to restore us to fellowship with one another. We are united to Christ by faith, and the natural implication of that is that we are united to one another by that same faith. The gospel isn't only about our relationship with God, it's also about our relationships with one another. We were meant to live in fellowship with God for all eternity, but we weren't supposed to do that alone. This is where the the guys that went out into the desert, the the ascetics, they wanted to go off by themselves and commune with God. Sounds like a nice idea. I think some of us would like to go to a desert island with our favorite book and be like, I just want to get away from it for a while, spend some time alone. There's probably nothing wrong with that. But, but the idea is, is that going out into the desert all alone for forever, as long as you live, it's not the right idea. We weren't meant to do that. We were meant to live in community, in this koinonia, this shared life, together with other believers. The gospel unites you to the people of God now and for all eternity. What are we going to do in all eternity? We're going to spend time with one another, worshiping and praising our God. Living out the gospel includes living together in unity and love. And that unity and love is sometimes hard to come by because we may have been offended or relationships may have been broken. But the gospel calls us to come back together by grace, welcoming one another as Christ has welcomed us. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So we are called to model the great exchange. Second, we are called to give what is owed. Give what is owed. Look with me here at the, the second half of verse 19 down to verse 21. Paul says, To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. The best explanation of Paul's comment here in verse 29 about Philemon owing even his own self, uh, the best explanation is that it was Paul who led Philemon to Christ. And Paul's basically saying, look, I'll, I'll, I'll pay you back. I'll take on Onesimus' debt. But don't forget, you owe me the fact that I led you to, to the Lord. This is, this is a brilliant move on Paul's part, right? Like, he mentions what Philemon owes him by telling him he's not going to mention it. 
probably going to mention it, Philemon, but, you know, just, just saying. This is a very gentle and tactful way of pointing out that Philemon can't really refuse Paul's requests. Paul is guiding him toward forgiving the debt that is owed to him. The debt that Paul takes on is far outweighed by what Philemon owes to him. That might sound a little bit manipulative, right? But Paul is actually pointing Philemon to the reality that we owe everything that we are to Christ, who leads us to God. Paul calls Philemon here brother, reminding him of their relationship together. He isn't using his status as an apostle. We saw that already in this letter. He could have done that, but he doesn't. He's appealing to Philemon as an equal, as a brother in Christ. Paul wants to receive some benefit from Philemon, he says, but this isn't just for Paul's sake, right? This is also for Philemon's sake. Throughout this letter, Paul is seeking Philemon's good. He wants him to get the blessing. It's kind of funny because there's a bit of a wordplay here, it seems, where um, Paul, call, he's calling on Philemon to be useful. He wants some benefit from him. Um, and that word benefit is, is, apparently it's related to the name Onesimus. It comes from a, a similar root. Paul has made it clear that Onesimus, whose name means useful, is again useful to Philemon and useful for the work of the ministry. But just as Onesimus is useful, so Philemon is to be useful. What does Paul mean here when he says he wants some benefit in the Lord? On the one hand, Paul will receive benefit if Philemon and Onesimus reconcile together. Paul is laboring for this reconciliation. And if they respond, both of them together, Paul will be rewarded for his efforts. And on the other hand, Paul will receive benefit if Philemon does all that Paul requests and Onesimus is able to come back to Paul and labor along with him. Paul will receive a physical benefit out of this. And also the Lord is active in this. Paul isn't just giving Philemon some nice suggestions. Here are some nice things for you to do, Philemon. By the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he is telling Philemon what it is that the Lord desires of him. And so as Philemon follows the Lord, as he does this for the sake of Christ, the Lord himself will be at work in and through this situation. The Lord will bring about the benefit that Paul is looking for. Paul says, refresh my heart in Christ. And, and it's, it's kind of neat because Paul's already made it clear that Philemon is already doing this. If you take a glance back at verse 7, he was refreshing the heart of the saints. And now Paul says, I want you to refresh me too, Philemon. I know you're doing this. I know this is your heart. This is your desire. This is what you have done for the people of God. And I want you to do it for me too. And he wants Philemon to do this in Christ. See, in other words, Philemon's actions can and do affect other people's walk with Christ. As Philemon refreshes Paul's heart in the hearts of the believers, they are built up by him in their walk with Christ. You know, maybe an example of this, maybe you've experienced this, when another believer shows you love, you're reminded of the love of your heavenly Father and your heart is warm to praise. 
Right? You can all, probably all think of circumstances where you were in need or you were down or you were just struggling, you were having a bad day, and you, you got that phone call. That brother or sister saying, I'm praying for you today. Or that someone who comes over with a meal when you, when you need it most comes and brings encouragement to you. What does it do? It warms your heart to the Lord to worship and praise him for the love that you have together in Christ. Or, you know, if more specifically to this letter, if another believer shows you love, you are in forgiveness for something that you have done wrong to them, you are reminded of God's forgiveness in Christ. And you are spurred on to new obedience. You say, because of what that person has done in forgiving me, I want to live in obedience. I want to walk in love. I want to love that person for the forgiveness that they showed me. And it spurs you on to live in obedience to God. You can have that same effect on other believers. As you model Christ's likeness to your brothers and your sisters, as you give of yourself to them, that's what koinonia means, right? It's a shared life, an active giving of yourself to others in tangible, concrete ways. As you do this, as you embody the gospel, those brothers and sisters are strengthened in their faith. They're strengthened in their love for God. They're strengthened in their obedience. I really love the way Paul puts this in verse 21. Confident of your obedience. Like, <laughs> that's kind of funny, right? Like, if you don't do it, you're not obedient, you know? I'm confident you're going to obey, hint, hint, Philemon. He's saying, I know you will do what I ask. And by the way, this is a matter of obedience to God. Philemon has proved himself to be faithful to the Lord. And Paul is confident that this faithfulness will extend to the matter with Onesimus. And then Paul says, I know you will do what I ask, but even more besides. Uh, There are commentators who hold that this is talking about this, this doing more besides, that this is talking about Philemon setting Onesimus free. Um, I guess we can't be exactly sure what it means, but I'm inclined to agree with that view. I think that's what Paul is saying, right? Because I mean, he's already, he's already said he wants him to, um, to forgive Onesimus. He wants him to send Onesimus back to him so he can labor alongside him. He wants him to receive him as he's received Paul. He wants him um, to, to, take, to take that debt and lay it on Paul. So like, what, what's this more that he could be asking him? It would seem to be that he is asking him to set him free. This is what love does. It doesn't just stop at obligation. Uh, you know, I, I remember there's, a, there's a, an Arabic word for obligation. I'll probably get it wrong, so I won't say it. You can ask my mom. But it's like, it's this word, you know, when you're obligated to do something, you're like, that's my, you know, that's my obligation. That's what I'm supposed to do. This goes beyond that. Seeking the highest good of others. Paul has preached the gospel and he has modeled the gospel for Philemon. And because of what Paul has done for Philemon... Philemon owes him something. And this points Philemon to a much, much greater truth. Because of what Christ has done for him, he owes not just something to God in return, he owes everything to God in return. Paul reminded the Corinthians, you are not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. The question that you need to ask yourself this evening is, 
Am I holding back what is rightly owed to God? Is there something in my life that I'm holding back from God? I think sometimes we we like to focus on the areas in our lives where we are obeying, but then we try to ignore those areas where we aren't. We minimize our sin, right? We sort of like, we push it off to the side. It's not not really that bad. Um, I'm obedient in all these other things, right? Surely it's not a big deal that I'm holding on to this one little thing. Christian, this thought has no place in the life of the child of God. I love the way that John Calvin says it. He says, if we are not our own but the Lord's, it is clear what errors we must flee and what we must direct our lives toward. We are not our own, therefore neither our reason nor our will should dominate our plans and actions. We are not our own, therefore let us not make the gratification of our flesh our end. We are not our own, therefore as much as possible let us forget ourselves and our own interests. Rather, we are God's, therefore let us live and die to him. We are God's, therefore let his wisdom and his will govern all our actions. We are God's, therefore let us in every way, in all our lives, run to him as our only proper end. We are not our own. We are God's. We are called to model the great exchange. We are called to give what is owed. And finally, we are to welcome the servants of Christ. We are to welcome the servants of Christ. Look with me here at verses 22 to 25. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greeting to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Paul wants to come and visit Philemon and the church in Colossae. He expects to be released from his current imprisonment, and that's meant to motivate Philemon, right? You know, like, Paul might be on his way. Like, it's, a, it's kind of a good motivation to, to carry on with the obedience that you're called to in Christ. And Paul is confident that Philemon will do what he asks in order to please him, yes, to please Paul, and to make good on the fellowship that he has with him. The fellowship, the shared life of Philemon and his household comes through in their prayers for Paul. And Paul is saying, as you have partnered with me in my labors, so partner with me in prayer that I might be able to come and to be with you. Because of what Christ has done for us, we show our love for him by receiving his servants. See, we're not just, in seeking to receive the servants of Christ, we're not, we're not merely trying to please men. It's, it's good to please our leaders in, by walking in obedience as they show us how to obey God. But it's not merely men that we're seeking to please. Jesus says in Matthew 10 40, whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. And so when those who are our leaders in Christ come to us, we should receive them and honor them. When they teach us the word of God, we should respond to them in submission and humility, recognizing that they are ministers on Christ's behalf, so that as we submit to them, we are submitting to Christ. 
They call us to faithfulness because we must be faithful to God. And if that is true, how much more should we be faithful and ready for the coming of Christ? Right? If, if Philemon ought to be ready for Paul's return, how much more ought he to be ready for the return of Christ? Jesus said in Luke 27, Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. That is our motivation. Our Lord will return and those who are his people must live in faithful service to him, ready to give an account to him when he returns or calls us home. There's no room for individualism here, right? There's no room for going off in a corner and doing our own thing. We are to live faithfully in union with Christ, and the practical way that we do that is by receiving the servants of Christ, joining with a body of believers and submitting ourselves to the leaders of the church because they are ministers of Christ. And it applies even more broadly, doesn't it? It applies to the koinonia of our lives together, our shared life. We are to receive one another in Christ. Like, think about when you invite someone over, right? And you don't greet them at the door and you go, oh, it's you. Eh, come in. That's not how you greet people, right? You open the door and you say, welcome. Come on in. We've been looking forward to having you. That is receiving your brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't forget, we are also to receive little children in the name of Jesus. I want to challenge each and every one of you, get to know the children in our church. Get to know their names, their likes, their dislikes, what they're doing, what makes them tick. Receive them as you would receive Christ. I think there's an Interesting point, as Paul closes out this letter, he sends greetings from his fellow workers. I think that's actually really interesting, because I think Paul has called Onesimus his fellow worker. Philemon, I know you will receive me. I know you will receive my fellow workers. And so I know you will receive Onesimus, because he is my fellow worker. He is a servant of Christ. And Philemon is to receive him. Well, Paul opens and closes this letter by pointing to grace. He has asked Philemon in this letter to do a difficult thing. And Philemon will need grace to do it. But the amazing thing is as Paul emphasizes the grace of God, beginning and ending this letter by pointing Philemon to grace, the amazing thing is that God has provided the necessary grace, not just for our justification, but also for our sanctification, so that we might be more like Christ. It is grace in Christ that leads us to share life with one another. Because the the grace of God has come to us in Christ, We are called to walk in obedience and love. Love toward God and love toward our fellow believers. Amen.